Let's pray, and we're going to do it. Let's go. Okay, let's bow. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love, and we thank you that all of us, um, some of us maybe aren't there yet, but because of your grace, you've enabled sinners to be able to say that my debt is paid in full. We're just so grateful to be able to say that. That there is no blemish on us because of the precious blood of Christ. Thank you that we can have full, intimate relationship with you, Lord, and that we can sit in here and, and, and just be here in your presence with your word because your spirit dwells here with and in us. And God, whatever it is we do, would it just be so focused on you? Maybe it's a chip on my shoulder, but there's other songs that talk so much about us. And I wonder, and people wonder why they're gone in a few months or when the CD gets old. They're gone because we're singing about us. But songs and messages in the word of God which preaches Christ will last forever and ever. And God, that's what we want our lives to be about. About preaching Christ Jesus, crucified, risen, and reigning in glory. And even when we die... May our tombstones say that, but would our witness be the influence of the life that we lived, that whatever remains wouldn't be someone who left a legacy of loving cars and money and clothes, but a legacy that says that this person lived their life on earth to bring glory to the Son. And so that's what we've been doing all month, or the five weeks. And yeah, it's just a sermon series, but really it's everything to us. It's our lives. We pray that you would help us down that road more and more each day. Thanks for being here with us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in life, uh, we walk down a number of pathways and roads that get us to the goals and the achievements that, you know, we want to have in this lifetime. We simply cannot just get to an end goal without having some sort of road and taking steps that, that are required to get us there. And for me, like, I'll just use two really uh, re- easily relatable and classic examples. The first being my career, uh, and the same with you guys. In order for me, I knew pretty early on that I was going to uh, be a pastor. Uh, my junior year of high school was when I received my call. So my junior year of high school, my senior year went on, and I knew that I had to apply to college. And I had to pass and get through college in order to get a bachelor's, in order to allow me to uh, apply to seminary. I need to get into seminary. And my next steps were to go to my classes and get my seminary degree to get trained. My next step was to get an internship at a church and then eventually get hired and begin my ministry. So all those steps and even many more were required in order to get there. In romance, you know, in college, when I was a junior, I, I met this really pretty girl. And I was like, hey, like, you know. And I had to do something in order for that road to begin. So, you know, I wrote on a piece of paper, do you like me, circle yes or no, and pass it around in class. And eventually, after dating, those were the steps. The next, quest, or next step I had to take down this pathway is to ask another question that was a little bit more important. Will you marry me? And then so on and so forth. Our life goal and pursuits don't just happen overnight. I didn't just wake up a pastor or married. None of you woke up as an accountant or a developer or a dentist. We don't just wake up married or wake up uh, even with our skills and hobbies. We don't just wake up being good at basketball or being an athlete. 
Similarly, none of us can just wake up one day and say that we are a fully matured disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a pathway. There are steps that are necessary. And throughout this, the past five weeks in the sermon series of Lent, we've been talking and going through these biblical teachings with the hope that the word of God would enlighten our hearts so that we might hold fastly unto Jesus, our greatest and most satisfying joy. We've been encouraging you, church, to let go of worldly things. And so as we wrap up today as the last sermon in this series, what I want to do is give us the pathway, the road. Because hopefully by now, after five weeks or so, hopefully you've been equipped with the armor and the weaponry and the, and the readiness and the training and the resources. Hopefully we have given you all that you need. And now here's the road that we need to start walking down. Because just like we can't wake up and we're some career or some profession, we don't just wake up one day and have fully let go of the world and gain Jesus. We can't just simply listen to sermons and cognitively agree with them. We need to start walking down the path to take our steps. So today I'm just going to, you know, show all my cards. We're going to be talking about this, that the pathway of discipleship is down the road of self-denial and cross-bearing. So I'm going to be splitting my sermon just into two, one half being uh, focusing on self-denial, the other half focusing on cross-bearing. But this is what we're going to do for the next 25 minutes, is to talk about the pathway. Now that we've been equipped, the road that we need to start taking steps down involves self-denial and cross-bearing. So for this, we're going to be looking to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Mark chapter 8, 34 through 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So again, firstly, and you've already seen the slide before, but now we're just focusing on the self-denial part. The pathway of discipleship is down the road of self-denial. So right before our our, our passage starts, in just the immediate preceding verses, Jesus has a very tense and emotionally uh, high emotion conversation with Peter. So he's with his disciples and he lets them know, and, and Mark even says that he says it plainly. He says, hey guys, here's what's going down. Soon I'm gonna suffer and it's gonna be at the hands of the religious leaders actually and I'm gonna die. And Peter, he freaks out And Mark says in verse 32, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know exactly how far, but he wasn't just on the spot. He must have been like, you know what, here, come over here, grab Jesus by the cloak. I don't know what he did in his emotions, but he rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? I was thinking about it. Some of you guys are so polite to even me. Like, I get all these emails like, Oh, Pastor Danny, I'm so sorry for emailing you so late at night, and it's like 7 o'clock. It's like, 
and you're so busy, and, and, and if you could just do me this favor. And I'm like, and, I, and it's like my job. And, 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 not, and even and more importantly than that, I'm just a stupid human. You guys are so kind and respectful to me. Peter rebukes Jesus. He takes him aside and he rebukes him. So Jesus rebukes him back. He, he humbles him. But then what I think that happens, and Mark doesn't say this, but what I feel is happening in the text is Jesus is like, you know what? This is like family meeting time because it's not just Peter who needs to hear this. Everybody needs to hear this. And so it starts our passage. He rebukes Peter, and I think he's like, you know what? Everybody, listen up. Everybody gather around. And he calls the crowd to him with his disciples. So he was just talking to the disciples, but he's like, you know what? Everybody needs to listen up. And he says the following thing. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And then we skip forward a little bit. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So Peter freaks out and he rebukes Jesus and he puts his foot in his mouth and acts like an idiot. But, you know, we kind of believe that it's because he loves him. He has this strong emotional response. He can't control himself because he doesn't want Jesus to die. But what Jesus teaches them on the spot and he teaches the church and all of us today is that you're misunderstanding my role. If I am to be the Messiah, then I have to die. And he shares this with us. He says, and you listen up now. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you need to understand that you're following down in the same road. It requires self-denial if you are to be my disciple. It means letting go of the world to gain your soul. It means surrendering to, to everything to Jesus to say, I will follow you no matter what the road involves. It means losing our lives, in fact, to save it. In week one, I mentioned that uh, in Lenten fasting, where we, we seem to have gotten confused over the years because, you know, chocolate and, and hot Cheetos, remember? Like, those are the things that we give up for Lent. And I think self-denial is really the area in which we haven't really seemed to get that clear, or at least the mass population of Christians when it comes to Lenten fasting. Because when Jesus says to, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, what he's, talking, what he's not talking about, as one commentator puts it, is denying something to the self. So it's not, I want chocolate, but I'm going to deny chocolate to myself. No, it's the entire thing. It's denial of the self itself. And so, you know, I mentioned this again in, in week one, that there, that's kind of where we seem to have missed the mark and the wavelength is a little wacky with our Lenten fasting. Because true self-denial is not withholding from a, just one or maybe a couple particular things that you want. Or just withholding from social media. Self-denial is looking at the entirety of your life and saying, Jesus, you lead it. And we must go down the road of self-denial. This is the pathway of the disciple. The thing is about self-denial is that it's hard, right? Because it seems like we come out of the womb... And we're already experts at wanting to get lots of stuff with hopefully losing very little. Right? We, we, we love gaining benefit without putting much work into it. So, you know, there's shortcuts and maybe we, we like to bend the rules here and there. There there's sayings like, best bang for the buck. Give the bare minimum to gain the, main, or the maximum. 
Little risk, great reward. Win-win situations. We love those things because we're experts at it. So I have a few examples, starting from the trivial and so stupid to a little bit more important having to do with the church. First thing that came to my mind, again, this is trivial, is the dollar menu at fast food restaurants. Some of you have judged me because I ordered a number two. And you're like, number two? You know if you get four things from the dollar menu, you'll get more full and you like save $3. You know, we, we just love getting more and more and paying the little bit. Some of you I've had this conversation with, and maybe this is good because now it's all of you. Some of us are like six years out of college. 15 years out of college and we still have our student IDs. We're all like young and like cute. (laughs) Why do you have that in your wallet? Because you show up at the movie theaters and you're like, student discount please. And you're stealing. Just cutting the corners with your old picture that clearly you're aged now. But your student ID is hanging out in your wallet. You're cutting the corners. Maybe a little bit more serious at work. Maybe you just do the bare minimum to please your boss because, well, I'm not going to get paid for any more of that. So why put in any extra effort? Or maybe with our roommates. Man, they all keep the the communal space so dirty, so I'm just going to do my thing in my room and screw the rest of it. Or with church. We sign up for a CG, but maybe attend here and there. Or we'll serve, but not enough that it ruins my routines. Not enough service that it gets in the way of my time and my schedule. Not enough to change my comfort. We're really good. We're experts at checking the box of did you do the right thing without losing much in the exchange. There's a very famous quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, I mentioned C.S. Lewis last time because he's my boy. And, And this one's not very popular. I'd be surprised if any of you... I mean, it's from mere Christianity, so maybe you might remember it. But he uses the example of a taxpayer for this reason. He says, we are very like an honest man paying his taxes. He pays them all right, but he does hope that there will be enough left over for him to live on. So his point is like, okay, we'll do the right thing. If the government says, hey, you owe 10%, we're like, okay, I'll give my 10%. And so in this case, it's kind of like, okay, Jesus, I'll give you my Sunday mornings. I wake up early then. Maybe I'll give you my Wednesday night CGs, but the rest, don't touch the rest. I'll pay my tax. So Lewis continues. But Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. The pathway of discipleship is down the path, or the, the yeah, the pathway of discipleship is down the road of self-denial, where we give up all of ourselves to get Jesus. And the thing is, to me, this this paragraph, I mean, you guys only see this part, and I and I I framed this slide on purpose. Because if you're like me and you see the whole sheet, my eyes are locked into Christ says, give me all. I want to take down the whole tree. It, to me, it's kind of like, you know, I have a penny in my hand. And God says, how about you give me the penny and I'll give you a $100 bill. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. 
because I'm focused on the penny. I don't, I'm not looking at the $100. But if we see that self-denial and giving up your life, it's not something to fear. But we've got to see the end part. I'm going to give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. What a good decision. We deny ourselves to truly, truly live. Secondly, the pathway of discipleship is down the road of cross-bearing. Is down the road of cross-bearing. Again, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we skip to verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? Taking up your cross had a very literal meaning to the original hearers and to the disciples at the time. Because the cross, dying or being executed on the cross was one of the things that the people of the day feared the most. Not just because of the pain and the, and the suffocation and the bleeding, but because of the public shame. They purposely, the Roman soldiers would purposely leave the horizontal beam of the cross, not at the place of execution, so that the criminal would have to carry it there while the roads filled up with people jeering and, and scorning and, and criticizing them. So it was meant to be what could be the most publicly humiliating thing as you die. And so Jesus says to his disciples, do that. Take up your cross. So when Jesus says, follow me, take up your cross, he's not saying a few minor tweaks here and there. He's saying a complete takeover Be willing to follow me at any cost, even if that's your life, as it has been to many of the heroes of the faith before us. And can I just pause and do a timeout to say, thank God that that isn't like a very in front of us reality in America. I don't want to say that flippantly. There are Christians who are fearful of their lives right now and who heroically literally say, take up, Jesus is saying, take up the cross to them. And they're like, I'm ready. But praise God for this country that we live in it's not perfect and maybe it's even worse than it was in november but man praise god that we're here right so maybe for us it's not so much of our lives like we're not afraid of dying but we got to be ready for that and maybe it's more like public scorn or giving up our dreams taking up our cross of our aspirations taking up our cross of our money of our things of maybe where we're going to live the directions that we're going to head Taking up our cross means, Jesus, you can have everything. Similarly to the former, to the, the paragraph, when I read this, I'm like, man, I almost like, you know, like clench my teeth and brace my abs. And I'm like, oh, just like ready for the hit. But I wonder if the world and my sin has so influenced my feelings that I don't see it clearly. In 2006, a movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio came out called Blood Diamond. And, it, I mean, it wasn't like this huge, like, blockbuster hit, but, you know, it was fairly popular. But to me, I was super excited because just a year before, I was in college at this point, and I took a class that was, uh, you know, of the four months of a semester, one whole month we spent just studying diamonds. So we, we studied the PR relations, the history of the De Beers family, how they became valuable, uh, all this stuff that the movie, you know, I, I was glad that it showed what it did, but, you know, it left a lot of stuff out. And why, you know, now we have, like, conflict, conflict-free diamonds and why they are the way that they are now. So in, I'm just going to quickly try to give you guys a, a background that the movie didn't 
lay out. So, so the De Beers family, you probably recognize the name. Realize, you know what, the Diamonds, we want to start a monopoly. We want to scoop them all up. So what they did was they hired and bribed and enslaved and killed lots of people in order to get every single piece of land that was known to have diamonds. And the thing is that diamond or any precious stone has value because it's rare. But diamonds actually are not at all. There's video footage of the enslaved De Beers workers picking up diamonds like this off the ground. Literally, I've seen the footage. You just go, YouTube it later when you get home. Diamonds were so common that they were picking them off the ground and, you know, dumping them into large crates. So the De Beers family had to create a monopoly in order to put them out little by little and increase their value. So they started killing people off. And once the value started to raise, that's where this movie comes into play, where Africans started killing each other, where brothers started killing brother where tribes were split, where, where communities were torn apart because this rich family gave value to something that was on their land and they were just dying for the money. So here's their evil, greedy genius. These are not valuable stones. Let's collect them all and let's just make jewelry. Let's put them on celebrities. Let's make them desirable to the public eye. And here's the extra genius part. They connected it with something that will never go away. Proposals. It's like, you know, trends. They come and go, right? If you might make a billion dollars on Facebook, but who knows? Will Facebook be around in 100 years? Maybe, maybe not. But like, it's like, to me, it's like birthday candles. Like, yeah, maybe the birthday candle guy is not like a mogul and a tycoon or whatever. But he's always going to have money, right? Because people are always going to have birthday. In Hollywood films, they say, hey, how about you give them this? And in this scene, have the person say, hey, I want to marry you and give them a gift. And all of a sudden... One by one by one by one, people started proposing with diamonds. And then it just created the storm. So, I, you know, murder, fighting, war, there's never any justification, right? It's, it's always terrible. Uh, but sometimes there's a good reason or a justifiable reason, right? Like the, the Civil War and, and fighting over uh, slavery. Or, you know, even in the Bible, like, the, the, the Israel had to go conquer land, so God even commanded them to go out. To me, th- so again, there's no justification for people dying, but the thing that makes this story even crazier to me is how it wasn't, they weren't fighting over anything good. They weren't fighting over anything valuable, even a resource that was good for the land or fertile land or, or, or for, to take over governments or to change leadership. They were fighting over something that had no value at all but was given value by a family. My point is that cultures and systems have the power to shape history over time to change our opinions and our view of things. And the De Beers family transformed our opinion of diamonds. And my point is not to make you feel guilty if you're married and go throw away your diamond and go to a pawn shop. I don't care. That's not my point. My point is that whether it's diamonds or Xboxes or BMWs or or fancy clothes or computers or TVs, these things are not as valuable as we think they are. Just as the De Beers family changed our opinion of diamonds, so has culture and the flesh and sin and marketing and money and greed transformed our opinion of the things that we want so badly. And on the flip side, The world looks at people sacrificing. The world looks at people being humble. The world looks at people denying more money or a promotion. 
The world looks at people taking up their crosses and they see that as tragic. But if we allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to unblur any distractions or visions from our eyes, we're able to see it. It's not tragic. It is cause for celebration. When disciples of Jesus say, I'm going to deny myself to take up my cross and follow him, it is celebratory time, not something tragic or a shame or foolish. When God gives us his vision and we're able to see through his eyes, we see that the invitation to come and die to ourselves is truly the invitation to live the most satisfying life. Far more satisfying than diamonds or clothes or cars or computers could ever provide. And I just love how Jesus asks the big eternal questions. Oh, I guess I don't have that slide. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Isn't that like just the great litmus test? When you're, when, you're, when you're coveting or envious of something and you want a material possession so badly or, or, or a goal in your life so badly or, or a status in your life so badly, to ask yourself, what does it profit me to gain this thing if it means forfeiting my soul? When we dwell on that question, it puts our hearts in the right perspective. For the past five weeks, we've done our best to equip you, all the preachers from the past five weeks, to equip you with the exercises and methods that we hope that you would live in a way that are disciples who deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow. In week one, we challenge you, church, to withhold and fast from things that are getting in the way of your true satisfaction and valuing Jesus. Then we challenge you, church, to seize power away from the world by acting in love towards Jesus and not loving worldly things. Then we talked about the narrow gate and that if you were to walk down it with the Apostle Paul, you might be able to say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Then we said we equipped you hopefully to say to not live as though Jesus were just a part or an addition to your life, but you would say, no, it's all Jesus is my life. Only Jesus is what I want. And then we say we challenge you, church, to fast from food because believing and having Christ Jesus in your heart is so much more valuable than even basic necessities of life like food. So today, I want to ask you, church, will you start moving down that road? Will you start taking the steps in your journey? And if you're already in the middle of it, will you be reinvigorated and empowered by the word of God to maybe take steps faster and with more boldness? If you've never even approached that journey or that road or that pathway, will you consider taking that step of faith and putting your trust in God? Will it be your joy and your deepest desire to walk this pathway of discipleship, to, to deny yourself, to be cross-bearing so that you might find that great treasure and fine pearl. The thing is that I'm able to say this right now. and We're all able to say yes and to agree and to receive this type of blessing because of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's because of his blood. It's because God sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins and his great obedience to the Father. 
it's, it's, it's because we can confess our sins and ask him to be the Lord of our lives and then start down this pathway. And we're promised that it ends in glory. And what is such good news to me? I mean, all of it is good news. But what is such good news to me, and I hope to you, is that we have a God who calls his disciples to deny themselves and take up their crosses, but he only puts the weight of our salvation on his own cross. We're called to take up our cross, but our eternity hinges on his, not our own. The good news is that he asks for all of us, but that isn't first before giving all of himself. And there is a moment, my friends, where all of our endurance down this pathway will end in glory. And I stopped to think and I wonder, and I was wondering in my office this week, do we not think of heaven enough? Because when I need endurance for this road, I think one day I'm actually going to see him. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever think that one day you're going to see him? And you'll be able to thank him for being so gracious to you, for allowing you to stand where you're standing, whatever the heck it's going to look like. Sometimes when I'm struggling in my faith, and this is just rambling now, I just think of that moment where I'll be able to hug Jesus with his wounds and in his scars and his hands. And then all of this endurance will end in us being able to see him one day. I hope that your heart yearns for that moment. And my prayer as your pastor is I hope that you don't want heaven because it's going to be fun, but you want heaven because of the person that's going to be there. Because you'll be able to see him and touch him. So while the command to take up our crosses remains, our ultimate and eternal destiny does not hinge on our cross-bearing but his. And we celebrate that on Friday and we celebrate that on Sunday. That because he took up his cross and followed the Father, we can rejoice and have life and life to the fullest. Isn't that a leader worth following? And if you have not stepped over the line of faith yet, isn't that a God that you want to follow? Jesus is the true treasure. Jesus is the true love that our hearts long for. Jesus is our only source of joy. Jesus is the one worth following because having Jesus in our lives is more significant than food. He's the king so beautiful, so worth following. In summary of all this six weeks now, won't you let go of the world so that you would gain Jesus? Let's bow in prayer together. I would like to ask all of you to ask yourself that question. Maybe to think of yourself on the pathway or off of it or in the middle or down the road, wherever it is that you are, and to to think about your next steps.
I would like to ask you to think about the things that you want so badly. And to say, God, even this I would give up if it means gaining more of you. Let's take this time to communicate and to just connect and even maybe some of you just listen to your Heavenly Father. God, there's not much we can say or do but to to thank you and to say, oh, how we love you. And how we yearn for the moment where we'll be able to see you face to face. We want to see you. We want to hold you and touch you and kiss you and hug you. But until that day, Pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to mold our hearts and change our and shape our eyes so that we would see your Son as more precious and precious each day. We want to long for Jesus more. We want to yearn for him more. And we gladly deny ourselves and take up our crosses if it means that we might gain him. Be patient with us at times in which the world and, and culture and, the, and society and our flesh distracts us and makes us want other things. Be gracious with us when we even go down those roads. And like the great shepherd you, shepherd you are, would you mercifully just draw us back? Deepen our discipleship, Father. Would you increase our joy? Would you unblur any of our vision that when we hear Christ wants all, that we would jump for joy and ask you to take it? Thank you for your great, magnificent, and beautiful cross that means life for us. And we thank you, Lord, that our salvation is upon yours, not our own. We want to lift up our voices and our hearts to give you great praise. Be with us as we continue in this service, as it's not over, as we rejoice in you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.